This is episode two with Caduce Felipe. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. Got my boy Caduce in the studio today, and I gotta tell you, I love this guy. We met earlier this year at a 4th of July party completely randomly just after my buddy Lewis Howes was telling me about him. And we got into this three-hour laser conversation that left me thinking a lot about my life, specifically in the way of connecting with people, something I've always felt could be better and stronger in my path. For those of you who don't know Caduce, he is a badass TV host, which you may have seen him on MTV hosting TRL for six years after Carson Daly, or you might have seen him on the show Duets on ABC recently. What I love about Q is his presence in conversation and his vulnerability, which we'll get into in this, in this show. The interesting thing about Q's creative path is that being a TV personality and host really requires diving into self to create empowered interactions with the personalities that he's hosting to draw the right things out of them. Over the past couple years, Q has chosen to dive deeper into that through a powerful leadership program that has also inspired me to do the same type of work. The training really takes you back to your authentic self to create bigger results and connection, which I really see in him. Q is doing some big things, and I'm excited for him and to have him on the show as well. A few things we'll talk about, living and being present in the moment, letting feedback land, the power of vulnerability in business and music, and behind the scenes of his interview with Stevie Wonder and what was going on in his mind and his emotions as he was doing that and a lot more. So let's jump into it. Uh, I just want a Picasso in my casa, no my castle, I'm a hassa. Today we have Mr. Caduce in the house. What's up, Caduce? Man, everything. Feeling good. Inspired. You are an inspiring uh, human being, my friend. And, uh, <laughs> you, had to, you had to question that human being part first. Sometimes I come off like an alien. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I love you for that. And it's been a pleasure knowing you for however since the Fourth of July, I guess, was our uh, our first date, if you want to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> our bromance did start. It definitely did. So, just give us a little little background. Who are you? Where are you from? What are, you, uh, what are you up to? Well, from Canada originally. I was born in Toronto. And uh, it's been a journey since then to really um, rediscover what I was born into. You know, it's sort of like uh, we go around the world, we work and we make money and uh, accomplish things. And then, it, you know, when it comes down to it, it really is all about finding that kid all over again. And that really is for me what life has been about is, you know, what brings me joy 
and how can I bring that joy to other people? Because ultimately, like that for me has been the point of life. And um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, that is basically what I've been about. But in the more mechanical sense, uh, I've done things like TV hosting and producing. Obviously, a lot of people know me from MTV as a VJ. I did that for six years. Um, you know, but I've done a myriad of things, all really in the exploration of that first deeper context. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, TRL is uh, something that one of the big things that you've done. Tell it like, give us a little background. How did how'd that come about? Uh, it came about from my uh, love for music, really. I started out um, in high school DJing and it was just a homie of mine, Scott. We picked up some old turntables that his parents had left in their basement and dusted them off and started playing. Uh, got records from this used record store and just started messing around. And it evolved, you know, went from a hobby to something that we could actually, you know, uh, share with our friends. We would mix tapes for our friends and had parties. And then uh, next thing you know, a friend of mine asked me to be a part of his, uh, like a campus radio station that he got a chance to be, have a slot on. So I uh, got a radio show when I was in university for the one semester before I dropped out. And then I got uh, a word about an announcement that had made, but made from Much Music, which is um, our version of MTV up in Canada. Much Music was doing their VJ search, so they made an announcement to uh, find the new VJ, and sure enough, everybody in my life seemed to have a suggestion for me to go ahead and submit and see about doing it, and sure enough, I went ahead and did it, and I became a finalist in that, and that was my first big national exposure, Uh, but I was like a deer in headlights. I was so nervous, so really awkward on live TV and um, and I did just enough to get to be runner-up but nonetheless I was definitely not ready for winning that spot so I didn't and um, what did happen though was I got a great bit of exposure from it and one of the producers of a new show called Vox that was in development at another network called TV Ontario saw me and when they needed a host, they went ahead and casted me. So that was my first TV opportunity, was doing Vox. And then um, after a season doing Vox, I uh, put together a demo tape of what I did with them. And then uh, sure enough, a friend of mine named Ben Berry sent that demo reel to his aunt, who's a senior agent at William Morris, big talent agency. She couldn't be bothered to watch a DVD from some kid in Canada because she was representing Whitney Houston and Alicia Keys and some of the biggest stars in the world at the time. So my DVD demo reel was basically a coaster for six months. Uh, but eventually she watched it, and sure enough, then um, she said, okay, we'll, we'll set up your, your friend uh, Caduce with a meeting for um, you know, a possibility. And so I met with a junior agent at William Morris in New York City the next time I was there on a modeling job because I was doing it at the time as well. And sure enough, after about five minutes of hanging out with this agent, William Morris, guy Kenny Goodman, he said, you are perfect for MTV. I'm going to set you up with a meeting. The next day I went into MTV and uh, I didn't quite know what I was getting myself into. You know, I really didn't know what William Morris as an agency was and how influential they were. I started to get the hint, though, as I walked into the MTV building and I was like very awestruck by how, you know, everybody there just had a swagger. And I, I was uh, figuring out where my swagger was as I was going up the <laughs> elevator. And uh, so as I was waiting, uh, I noticed the people that were coming in and out, different stars. And I started to really get the hint as to how big an opportunity this was. So that's when the dry mouth set in and I wondered where the water would be. Because, you know, when you get nervous, you start to like develop physiological signs of massive panic. And so by the time I get in the room, I am very well aware of the weight of the situation. But nonetheless, I'm still just like a kid from Canada, wide eyed, excited 
and not really knowing what MTV consisted of on a day-to-day basis. So I didn't know what TRL was. I hadn't watched Carson Daly host. I didn't quite know what the prototypical VJ was. So I came from Canada, just having watched much music growing up, having that as a frame of reference. And um, at that point being very, very comfortable with who I was because after a season of doing Vox, I felt like, all right, I got that under my belt. I kind of know who I am. I know my voice. I know, you know. Anyway, what I brought in that room was just unbridled excitement and passion. And, um, you know, I didn't quite know what I was doing, though, because looking across the table at this guy who was interviewing me, Scott, Scott Venner, who's still a friend to this day, he was like a poker face. He wasn't really giving me much to work with in terms of knowing yeah. how I was doing. So I felt like at times I was a bit lost in the jungle. Um, but there was one thing I remember saying in the interview that cracked a smile on him, which was uh, when he asked me, what and why do you want to be a VJ? He said, why do you want to be a VJ? And I said, well, I can't sing like Maxwell, so this is the next best thing. <laughs> I love music. And that was the bottom line, and that really came across. And so anyway, uh, about two days after, despite you know my not being sure quite how I did, I got a call from my agent, Kenny Goodman, and he said, you got the job. No wow. one was looking for a VJ, but they uh, they made a slot for me in order to have me in the rotation, and I was uh, at that point a, uh, a VJ on MTV. I love it. I love it. Like, what would you say were was one of the biggest highlights of of your TRL experience? Poof, there were a lot. I would say the biggest highlight hmm, was interviewing Stevie Wonder. Wow, because he obviously is such a tremendous genius, uh, but I'm really inspired by the way that. You know, he, he's blind. And the fact that he never uses that as a crutch, as an excuse. He could have easily kind of, you know, wilted under the, um, you know, the, the issue of being blind. But instead, he rose above it and he's inspired millions. And so that to me is just such an inspiring thing to be around, to, yeah. to, to know how that guy gets down on a day-to-day basis, how his mind works was something I was truly blessed to be able to do that day in the interview. And I only scratched the surface because TRL is obviously not inside the actor studio, James Lipton, but nonetheless got a chance to connect with that man. And it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's amazing. So I, like, what did that take from you, like personally, internally, when you were going into that? <laughs> well, I remember when I got the call, I laughed because it was really, it took, it took quite a bit because I, I was nervous. I was, even after, you know, years of hosting on TRL, when it came to Stevie Wonder, it definitely brought up um, whether I was worthy to interview Stevie Wonder. So I really needed to, you know, muster up that self-worth that, you know what? Yeah, like MTV and TRL has deemed me the guy to interview Stevie Wonder. They could have easily asked Lala. They could have easily asked Damian Fahey or any of the other VJs they had at their disposal. But they asked me. So I really needed to take ownership about what that meant, that what the kind that, that the feedback that was really given in that assignment. I said, okay, I'm gonna really take that and uh, and run with it if I can, you know? And sure enough, you know, I, I worked myself up to realizing that, you know, I am just a vessel. I'm a vessel for the audience of TRL understanding this man. And it's not about me being a fan and geeking out and being crippled by my nerves around interviewing a full-blown legend. It's about my job. It's about like, bringing an understanding to the audience of who this man is and why he is brilliant 
And um, when I started thinking those terms, my nerves started to go away. And then when I actually met him and I just said to myself, I'm just going to be authentic with him and like really give him his just due. Like, you know, I just fanned out for a moment at first because that's where I was authentically. And I think when I noticed like he was initially as I came up and I was introduced to him, it's not like he right away gave me permission and like gave me you know the open book like he was definitely feeling me out and what he felt in that moment was somebody who was really just authentically wanting to connect and and like really reverent and respectful and all those things so what it took for me was like really being you know who I was with him you know really truly a fan first and then stepping into the job and um, that for me was was the process of interviewing Stevie and then we had a great time and like the interview itself was very much woven with respect, but but still getting across, you know, what it is that the curiosity points were for the audience at the time. So it was it was awesome. It was definitely one of my highlights. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I big things I admire about you is is like how you're always present, oh. and I feel like that really like helps and and works with it. Like, how did were you? How did that work with you when you were interviewing him? It worked. Um, it worked really well. I mean, it. Um, definitely kept me in the moment because I definitely feel like there were times where it was like an out-of-body experience. I was like, here I am interviewing a full-blown legend, Stevie Wonder, one of our personal heroes. And I don't know if you've ever had these moments, but it's like, I'm sure you have actually, because you've had some pretty surreal moments yourself, like being, you know, so intimate in the, uh, in the space of Justin Bieber, right? And yeah. like he's right now becoming a legend in his own right, you know, obviously, you know, not quite Stevie Wonder yet, but you know, he's on his way to being a real legend. And so it's it's like that when you're in the midst of like millions of people screaming Justin Bieber's name, then he comes up and gives you five, you know, and it's like, whoa, this is happening. I am this guy. So yeah, being present in that interview with Stevie Wonder definitely required that ownership. It's really just taking note of, yes, this is who I am in this moment. I'm actually a VJ on MTV <laughs> and interviewing Stevie Wonder. You know, the bottom line is like, we are where we are and we are where we are for a very good reason. You know, yeah. and oftentimes when we're not present, it's because we're speculating about what could have, should have happened from our past or where we are going to be in the future, which will be what will be the catalyst for being really happy or whatever have you that detracts us from being really in the moment. But in the moment is all we have. It's all we promised. Yeah. And, and you know, and at the end of the day, like, you know, it really is worth it to just be present because, like, I feel like any moment can be a gift. Any moment can be savored. You know, even now, like I, you know, someone could look at this tea that I'm drinking and think, oh, it's just a tea. It's just going to serve a function of, you know, getting me, you know, not thirsty. But then as I'm drinking it, I'm like, wow, this is delicious tea. Thank you, Nick Onkin. Like I'm present how delicious this tea is. And I'm not taking it for granted, yeah. you know, because there are people that don't have what we have as, as a luxury. Um, they don't ever get to be in a high rise building like we are in right now and looking upon Los Angeles and taking it in as a beautiful city. Like all these things are things to really take inventory of if we're really present to it. Yeah, I mean, so it's like having a sense of gratitude and being present and grat grateful for that moment that, that you're experiencing. Exactly. That's it. Gratitude. It's like a great way to anchor yourself in presence is being grateful that you are where you are right now. If you're listening to this, you're probably part of the 10% of the world that is able to listen to a podcast. 
So how grateful are you right now to be able to take some time and listen to something and have a computer? I mean, these are all things to really check in with, you know? Right. <laughs> I tell you what, I mean, you just came from Guatemala, right? And you know, yeah. I mean, most of the world does not have these luxuries or even close to having a laptop. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been all over the world. And even Guatemala, it's just like people have nothing, yet they're happy. Yeah. I mean, imagine that. We we have such first world problems over here of like, oh, I can't get my coffee or whatever. Yep. And we're so ungrateful. Totally. Totally. Because we feel like there's something else that we want in the future that's going to be making everything better or whatever have you. And it really does pull us out of the present. It does. And I've, like, I've come to the conclusion that... I mean, this is it. This is this is it. Like, this is what life is about. These little moments, you know. And um, hey, we can savor it, or we can let it pass by and have it be just another day. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've. I mean, I've. I got into a couple of years of just really getting into my head and always thinking about what I coulda, shoulda, and should be doing where I'm going and not living in that in the moment, not living in my heart. And you know, I've gotten to recently like discover dropping into my heart a, a lot more and, and becoming present. In, totally. and But it takes such a conscious effort to really just be present in that mm, moment. Mm. But I would say, I would venture to say, it's actually harder not to go 100%. Because I found that when I'm not bringing myself, my full self, to moments, I inevitably look back on it with regret. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I look at a lot of the, the things that I got to live into in TRL and I was not present for a lot. I mean, I was really in my head. I was nervous. I mean, first two years on TRL, I mean, I was just kind of happy to be there. And I was kind of in survival mode. I was like thinking, you know, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Was that episode good enough? I would always go back to the control room, get the episode that we just filmed, rush to my office, review the tape to make sure that I didn't flub up that segment as badly as I thought I had. You know, so there and by, living in a state of constant survival and not really savoring. And so there and by, I look back at a lot of my time at TRL and MTV, and I say, well, you know, I really wasn't in the moment as much as I could have been. And, you know, to be honest with you, people always talk about, oh, there's no such thing as regrets. Come on now. You know, like, if I had a do-over, absolutely I would be more present. Absolutely I would be less in the survival context and more in the thrival context and really running with the ball, you know? Uh, but, hey, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. you know? So <laughs> exactly. that's why I think it's important for anybody listening. It's like, hey, let's check in with ourselves right now and our we being as present and grateful in this moment as possible. And yeah, I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is it, it is a practice. And I am sometimes still, you know, even as I sit here and talk so much about it, still I got to check myself too. So it is a rigorous thing. But I think at the end of the day, we feel better about the way that we're being now present because nothing, we don't miss anything. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're absolutely on top of this moment and taking advantage of it and not having those regrets then at the end of the day. So that's that's like for me the uh, the the payoff in you know whenever I feel like it's got to be so conscious all yeah. the time. Well, you know what? That's definitely worth it and it's like it's to me it's like surfing. You know, it's like I you know, life when we're this conscious, it's like surfing. It's like being on a surfboard and being so present that we're constantly riding the wave. Whatever's happening, like what is the wave that we can ride right now? Yeah. Well, and it's um it's amazing. I mean, especially what I've seen the last few months is just like the synchronicity that happens when you're present and you're like operating from your heart. Yeah. It's crazy. Things fall into place. Totally. Totally. And, and it also comes into play with, you know, are, are you clear about your intention, like what you're up to? Because then what you're clear about will, will become even more apparent, right? 
Like I know when I wasn't necessarily clear about what I wanted, um, I didn't, I was, I wasn't able to like immediately notice, oh, that's precisely what I want. And therefore I'm going to run towards that versus like, you know, being more of a, in a gray area. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I think if we're not clear, then, you know, of course we're going to like not quite know what choice to make and things will be a little hazier along the way, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that so much plays into the world of creative, creative entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I, that's really what this podcast and, and everything is all about. And I've seen you as a, as a creative entrepreneur and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how you see yourself as a creative entrepreneur. Well, in content creation, certainly. And, um, you know, in creating these vehicles on, you know, web series, maybe like, you know, the hot girls get away with stuff that I came up with, or, you know, the Q side, these are definitely like, ultimately, they're considered media ventures. But to me, there's a lot of creativity in, in, you know, the way we come up with content at the Q side is very much um, figuring out like what is not in the marketplace right now, and how can we actually provide something different fresh and more relatable and somehow transformational for the audience um both of those attempts were attempts and i will say that you know we're definitely still in the exploration of of how we can really have more impact so you know as a creative entrepreneur no doubt i have a lot to learn like everybody else um but i feel like what i've learned so far is it is important to take real uh ownership over the fact that are you a creative entrepreneur? And I definitely yeah. feel like I finally can say that because I'm, you know, going out on the skinny branches. I'm taking risks with the content that I'm creating. And I'm really making a point of asking, like, what value can I add to the audience? What is not already out there in the marketplace? And how can I fill the gaps? And I think those are the very essential questions that creative entrepreneurs got to ask themselves. Otherwise, it's like you might be hitting the same note that's already being hit, you know, um, and so ultimately, yeah, or be just, yeah, be, being a derivative. And it's like, yeah, let's be creative. Let's figure out, like, what is creativity in this moment? And that was where being present plays into it as well. Because, like, how can you really add value if you're not even present to all the different things that are already out there, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, it really goes into just that balance of art and commerce. Because, to you know, a creative entrepreneur is somebody who makes a living with their art. Yeah. And that's not an easy thing to do. To be to be making a living through your art is 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 tough. I mean, what like what's it? What has that taken from you? I mean, there's a lot of internal dialogue that happens. I know for myself, that that was it's been huge the whole process. And like, it is those it is that internal dialogue. What is it motivating you to push past and go to the vision and like really refine your craft and go through the journey and through the process to be able to make it? Because there is that that kind of journey before you get to the point where somebody actually is paying you for your art yeah yeah absolutely well i just know that it became very unfulfilling and very um it was a lack of expression in doing other people's shows like i love all the opportunities i got at mtv i love all the opportunities i had with you know abc nbc all these different other networks mind you there's something to be said about writing your own script you know, and that was really the point I got to. So no matter what kind of struggles I've had being an independent, being an entrepreneur with this content creation media game, um, I just always remember going back, you know, to like the days where I needed to argue and debate to have Kanye West on TRL for the first time. Wow. Yeah, that happened. So, you know, and also guys like Common, guys like John Legend, like I went to back for these guys at TRL 
And, you know, that's why some of them have thanked me in their album liner notes and things like that, because, like, there were those conversations. Now, I don't need to really debate anybody in order to get somebody on my show, you know? So no matter how uncertain the future is, how there is not necessarily a guaranteed paycheck for me at the end of the month from a Viacom or, you know, MTV or whatever have you, I can feel so much better about the day-to-day operations because ultimately I'm able to do the things that I really want to do. And, you know, as someone who at this point, like I can really feel confident in my taste and confident in what I do. Um, I don't need the validation of a corporation to do what I do. I think some people do. Some people actually feel like it's part of their identity. It's part of their makeup, their value to be able to say, I work at MTV. I remember a lot of people worked for way less than they would for other networks because they could say they worked for MTV. MTV was notorious for paying little to people. So I know that the payoff for them was being able to say, I work for MTV. Now, when we can step out of needing that validation, all of a sudden, you know, how can we just be powerful in our own right? You know, how can we really step into our vision and not just be followers of MTV's vision, for example? Uh, And that's not making MTV wrong. That's just saying, like, I knew the things that I wasn't getting across at MTV that I felt like would really be fulfilling. And so that's why I stepped away, you know? And it's it's been a journey. It has not been overnight. <laughs> it's been years and years of failure. Uh, and that is part of being a creative entrepreneur that somebody out there really needs to, you know, embrace because I think a lot of people are afraid to fail. But in doing this, that's part of the game. It's like, yeah, I've thrown a lot of darts, darts to the board and I haven't stuck. And I've learned lessons, but it's all been worth it because... You know, ultimately, um, it's it's the ownership that I get to have over it, you know, not only from a monetary standpoint um, and, you know, from a creative control standpoint, but yeah, from like my voice truly cutting across this medium and actually reaching the people. Yeah. I mean, but you, you also got to, I mean, part of the journey was doing MTV. Part of that totally. was building your credibility and your connections. And then now you can go and do what you want. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like, that was definitely a great setup. And I do speak from a pretty privileged place that, you know, a lot of maybe new creative entrepreneurs don't have necessarily that background to uh, legitimize themselves um, to be able to have the same sort of cowboy attitude as I sometimes have. <laughs> um, so that being said, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's huge to be able to build your brand, realize when partnerships are necessary. And I think it's important, even in the context of, say, for example, being employed by an MTV, considering it in your own mind a partnership. You know, because that way um, you're seeing things from a entrepreneurial standpoint to say like, this is serving my brand expansion to work here. So the big picture being, I am bigger, I am broader than the current employment, the partnership that I'm a part of. This is just a tool in the vision that I have that is way bigger, right? Because I think a lot of people can feel like, so, you know, reactionary in not thinking that and worried about losing their job versus like, whatever happens here, it served its purpose. And then moving forward, I have now the equity that I built here, however long that was, and then I can move forward and pivot. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great point. And, you know, having that grander vision is is huge. And, you know, this, for any creative entrepreneur, there's there's different ways of doing it. And, yeah. and that definitely is 
like having that bigger vision and using working for another entity, another corporation could be just a stepping stone. And, and that's, that's one way of doing it. Totally. I mean, I definitely have no illusions about the fact that if I hadn't worked for MTV, I would not be sitting here with you being interviewed. You know, I, I'd probably be back in Canada, um, maybe being a teacher. I don't know. You know, it's like really though, um, truly that was a huge stepping stone. And I didn't really even realize how important it was to me and my, um, my escalation. And then, you know, now it's like, it's still to this day what people reference and still provides a lot of credibility and opens doors. So definitely forever grateful for that. Um, but yeah, it is important to definitely always think as one, as, as someone who is autonomous in a way, uh, and not absolved or, you know, somehow validated necessarily like internally by a job. Like I think identity is something that's really important to carve out. And you mentioned the word vision a couple times. And I think that that's really integral for any creative entrepreneur is to like be clear about what it is that you want to make a difference with, you know, like what is your legacy going to be like in, you know, 60 years, what is going to be on your tombstone? Like what are people at your funeral going to be saying about you and what you did and what your impact was? And then working backwards, you know, I found that to be really helpful too, to really like carve out and hone in on what exactly it is that I want to say to the world. Cause ultimately that's like the biggest thing that we, yeah, we got to be clear about it. You know? <laughs> Definitely. So what do you want to say to the world? Man, uh, you know, I've, I've said a lot already. Um, but I think that I uh, think that it really comes down to really being authentic and being in your truth. And I think that, you know, even being the way I am, like I, I, I feel like I finally got into a place where you know, when you see me on camera, that's, that's who I am, you know? And I think that it speaks to this quote I heard from, I think it was Marianne Williamson that, you know, when we, uh, shine, we allow ourselves to be completely authentic and, and be as great as we can be that somehow subconsciously even allows other people to be who they are altogether and shine as well. So that's definitely something I always want people to feel like, you know, that I'm just, I'm just like them. And I'm, and you know, and, and if I can do it, they can do it. You know what I mean? Like I'm no different than anybody listening right now. I just made a point of, you know, really running with it and like, and, and throwing caution in the wind and going for my dreams, you know, and I really want people to feel, uh, empowered at the end of the day to really take on whatever it is their dream is because man, I'm out here on the skinny branches, you know, and I'm loving it because there is an electricity, there is, um, some suspense involved, you know, but I will say that I, I feel so alive. I feel so alive and on purpose, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, man, there's, there's definitely, you know, there's days that I, I sometimes savor, you know, comfort and, um, certainty, but, you know, I've become comfortable with the uncomfortable and it's like this next level of, you know, uh, exhilaration, from like really being a place of constant creation like if it's if it's gonna be it's up to me you know yeah most definitely <laughs> and i mean you know like it's there's a power in being and being vulnerable like what you know there's what did you have to overcome in your life like what was one of the biggest things that you've had to overcome to really push over and get over those fears of jumping over jumping off that cliff into creative entrepreneurship because there is there's no security you know there is there's so many what ifs and you know through that journey there is a it's a huge risk it is a lot of skinny branches to be a creative entrepreneur what like tell us what what was 
what was that for you? Well, it definitely was back to my decision to not go through a university. Mm. That was huge because my mom was an educator for 30 years. And you know, in general, people in society were always inundated with messaging that you know university is an integral part of your progress in this world. And if you don't do university, you're a dropout mm. and your chances to succeed are, are way worse. And I will say, you know, having seen more, I will say that education is important. In that moment, though, in terms of what was being um, like, you know, put on my plate, it was the entertainment world. It was modeling that was being offered me. So they weren't things that necessarily I saw a need to go to school for because they were already being offered to me. So that being said, I felt like the conditioning of the world had really played a, a real role in how I did not feel smart enough. I felt like because I hadn't gotten that diploma, somehow that didn't make me smart enough. And I definitely needed to get over that. I mean, I was all of a sudden in conversations with Cornell West because he had made uh, an appearance at Viacom and someone in the social responsibility department invited me to be a part of it. And next thing you know, I'm sitting with one of the foremost minds of our generation and I have an actual real dialogue with him. And by the end of it, he actually acknowledges me for being a smart young man. I was like, oh God, that really, that hit a nerve. That hit, that, that was something I needed to hear. Yeah. You know? and, and still, I feel like there was a disconnect for me because I didn't go to university. He doesn't really know. Maybe I just fooled him in the past hour over lunch. So it was a constant battle with myself and my insecurity around uh, not having gone to university and, and maybe not being smart enough. And, um, you know, it, it's something I've gotten over finally uh, after having enough conversations with people like Cornell West and, um, and being able to engage on that level. So that's definitely been a big point for me of vulnerability is uh, constantly self-educating, you know, mm. and making sure that, um, you know, anytime I do feel somehow unprepared, uneducated, um, doing the work to, to really educate myself. So, but it's a, it's a constant daily thing. It's, you know, it's always, you know, knowing that I'm enough, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of goes into the category of emotional intelligence and being able to navigate those thoughts, those self conversations that you're having with yourself, you know, especially because as a creative entrepreneur, we're, we, our vision is our product. We are our product. So if, you know, it is, it's always feast or famine and that has, that takes a toll. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, whether you're getting hired or not. I mean, at a certain point you take it personally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And that's the thing. It's like, we can't take it personally. We like a lot of creative entrepreneurs, we don't think business enough. It's just a bottom line of like, okay, so where is my brand? What's missing? And how can I become more viable in the marketplace? How can I adapt? How can I reinvent? That's the question I'm always asking myself because I see all these new jacks that have come through and done this and that. And, you know, it's like I can easily, you know, get into a place where, you know, I can take it personally. But the fact is it's a business, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, what is the service you're providing? And is there an opportunity to reinvent right now? That's what I'm always asking. Yeah. And, and so much of that, it's like hard to separate when, when you're like so attached to your product and who you are and your art. Yep. That's uh. <laughs> but then it's like, then it becomes like, okay, well, you know, maybe I can do this kind of art, this kind of expression for myself. And, you know, and then know that this is where the market value is for me 
you know, to connect with actual clients and, you know, get those gigs uh, and, and make that distinction for, for oneself. I know for me, you know, there's certain things that I, I because I love them, because I enjoy them, I like dancing. Am I going to be a dancer? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think that's going to be necessarily my professional route at any point. But you best believe when we're out of the club, I'm going to dance. I'm going to express myself. And that will be that outlet. You know what I mean? And I feel like sometimes artists, we get very passionate and we feel like this is going to be the thing that's going to be out in the marketplace. But then if we can step back and be more objective about it, I think that gives us the best aerial view to be able to actually connect and get the clientele that is available to us. Yeah, that's powerful. And, you know, I guess last night we, I got to, got a chance to check your, you did a a workshop on the power of vulnerability and, and that's huge. I feel like, especially in the creative world, like what is your, what's your thoughts on like taking that into the creative entrepreneur space? Well, ultimately people got to relate to what you're doing. And, you know, a lot of times when, for me, I know that I oftentimes had a struggle with um, feeling like I needed to be perfect. I needed to like do it right. And that was killing my creativity. And, you know, for me, being vulnerable has allowed for people to actually connect on a deeper level with me, you know, to really understand the struggles that I've been through, you know, it, it took a lot for me to be able to reveal those things, to be more human and, you know, but ultimately that's the stuff that really resonates. I mean, it's like Kanye West, for example, perfect example of a guy mm. who has really won with vulnerability. I mean, that guy is out there. He is revealing himself all kinds of ways. Some people are very polarized by the ways <laughs> he does it, but I tell you what, he never gives a boring interview and his songs are captivating. I mean, he puts it all out on his music and there is a rawness there that is no doubt the reason why people resonate with him. There's a lot of people that, on the other hand, you know, constantly are in uh, some kind of reaction to what other rappers are winning with. And so I'm going to rap like this and I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about my the girls and the cars and the money and all this stuff. And it's like, ultimately, that's not really what the human experience is about. So unless we can really tap into what is raw, vulnerable and human about us, meaning our fears, our insecurities, the uh pain that we've experienced, the passion we've experienced, the you know, vulnerability does not mean always being a hot mess, you know what I mean? It can mean <laughs> just being like completely, you know, in ownership over how, you know, we flubbed up, you know, I I did this or that, you know, I said this to my girl and, you know, it shouldn't have been what I said. Like it can look a lot of ways, but ultimately those are the things that make up our experience. So if we can share that in the form of art with people, of course it's going to connect more. Yeah. Well, I mean, music is huge with that. Like you listen to lyrics and that's like an artist at their most vulnerable state. Yeah. And like, how would you, and, and what is vulnerability given you? Vulnerability has given me a lot. I mean, to, to personalize it, it really has transformed my love life. I mean, I definitely went through the twenties being so, disconnected. I really, you know, I, I wasn't going to let anybody in. I was very, very protective, um, didn't trust people. And so I had a very uh, surfacey kind of relationship with most people. And so, you know, I just dated a lot. I was a chronic bachelor. And, you know, I don't even think looking back on it, it was, it was really responsible because I like at times, you know, I wasn't even emotionally aware enough to 
allow for like a, a friendship to develop out of these dates. You know, it was like, so it, it became a really, really uh, corrosive kind of a, a, a thing for me because I realized by the end of my 20s that that was not the life I wanted to lead. So for me, finally, I realized, okay, I've got to shift. I got to like look at the man in the mirror. So finally, I allowed myself to actually open up. And that was, you know, wow. All of a sudden, I felt like a three-dimensional human being. You know, I felt my heart expand. I was able to have relationship on a whole nother level with people. Yeah. And um, so, of course, like that's played into being a creative entrepreneur more because, you know, as we fill our cup in, as humans in our personal lives, we can bring so much more to the table in our expression, in you know, our media. And certainly I think that's been the case. And I've even noticed like some friends of mine have made a point of telling me like the way I am now when I host a show, it's a whole nother vibration that I'm bringing to the table wow. because I have more access to my humanity as a result of, you know, opening up, of really allowing myself to be in relationship. You know what? Maybe I've been disappointed here or there, you know, but I've also had love like never before. I've yeah. also, because I've, you know, leaned into that, you know, uh, vulnerability, really, truly. Um, I even said the story last night in the workshop about, you know, getting to the root of the lack of the vulnerability that I had in my 20s. Mm. It was actually this girl that I brought roses to when I was 15 after one day and I thought I was in love with her. Brought roses. She was not emotionally available. She was not really <laughs> looking to take it there with me. And sure enough, at that point, that was when I realized um, or I, I made up that I couldn't really reveal myself. I had to keep my cards close to me and, you know, not put roses on somebody's table the day after a date. So, you know... It's been a real awesome evolution and uh, truly has opened up a whole world of possibilities. Yeah, I mean, so what would you say that, what was the catalyst for you to be, I like, the, to get the awareness of that, that you needed to be vulnerable or like, where did that hit you? Man, it was, um, it was a couple of good friends of mine actually throughout my 20s tried to basically stage an intervention. And, you know, um, one of them I remember distinctly Really, you know, somebody who unfortunately I have not been in touch with since, but he really, he drew a line in the sand. He said, like, you have not been a good friend to me. And I, you know, I was so disconnected. It's like, I almost didn't even let that land and really process that and have like a real dialogue with him about it. I sort of just like, I wanted to be right about, you know, what do you mean? Like, you know, I'm not a good friend. You're, you're, you're a bad friend. You know, like I was not taking that feedback in, but I'll never forget him because he was one of the first people that wasn't afraid to be honest with me and cared enough about me to make a point of giving me that feedback. Now, you know, the follow through, you know, unfortunately hasn't been something I feel good about because I've actually reached out to him after and I've said, I really appreciate that you said that. Nonetheless, you know, I had other friends, you know, a good friend of mine named Sean, he also made a point of saying like, you know, I noticed how you're being and how this, you know, MTV gig is kind of changing you in a way because you know, I, I had I developed a real lack of trust. I thought a lot of people were coming at me because I had this position on MTV. And, you know, it, um, it was definitely a series of those types of people. But then it really came down to a workshop that I did actually recently, a couple of years back, which I know you just did. And so it really was doing that work where, you know, it was an amazing emotional intelligence workshop to really figure out my blind spots. Mm. Because although there were these breadcrumbs that these friends of mine had dropped along the way for me, I hadn't really gotten to that, that real clear understanding of what it was that was missing for me, that, that, or what it was that I wasn't bringing to the table, what I, you know, what I didn't see, you know? Because we, we don't see what we don't see, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we all have blind spots. 
So after doing this workshop, it was really powerful to now get what was happening in all these instances and what was missing from me. And a lot of times it was vulnerability. Wow. It was people feeling like I was not really interested in connecting deeply and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and really entailing re friendship and like the investment that that really takes, you know? Yeah. So it was a lot of things, man, but that was definitely a big tipping point was actually saying to myself, okay, you know, I've heard this enough. I see the results now in my life. I don't feel fulfilled and doing something about it, really shifting and, sh and course correcting um, and, and not being right about, you know, being the one who, you know, didn't need this or that. It was it was really yeah. that that awakening. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how no matter where we are in life, we, you know, we're creating big things in the world. And no matter where we are, we all have blind spots. We yeah. all have stuff that we can't see these you know, our self-talk that's subconscious. Yeah. We don't even know about it. Big time. Yet it holds us back from so much more possibility. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy that you hear these studies about how we only use 10% of our brains <laughs> and you wonder what the heck's going on with that other 90%. Right. And, and that's what this work is all about. You know, this workshop really allowed me to access so much more capacity to love, capacity to uh, check myself, be so self-aware. So even though sometimes I'll still say things that aren't necessarily like the the most powerful thing I could possibly say, at least I catch myself like, you know, a minute later, I'm like, oh, wow, I could have said that. You know what I mean? As opposed to like not even realizing what I could have said. Um, and, you know, it's a practice. It's constantly like staying on top of that we never really all together get it. Like it's not, there's not this point where I'm going to levitate and like, you know, transcend, you know, um, I would say probably, you know, even Martin Luther King apparently cheated on his woman, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, so, and then, you know, even me, some, you know, I still find myself bringing myself consciously to vulnerability. Even in this interview, I feel like the first part of it, I was like on some kind of soapbox at times. And now we've gotten to a place where I'm like more vulnerable and it feels more authentic and it feels more connected, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's constantly catching ourselves. Well, even that's a conscious effort. I totally. Mean, the first the first step is being aware. Yep. Big time. That's crazy. So like how would you say the the power of vulnerability and this new vulnerability that you've you've come up with, how is that, you know, going from when you were hosting TRL to going to hosting duets? Like where was it? What was the difference? Like how did you what what were you feeling within that? How did you shift your that the hosting? Um I was just way more focused out. You know, it wasn't about mm. me as much, you know, like I remember on TRL and MTV, I remember feeling like constantly concerned about how people were going to perceive me. Um, and I remember having a moment actually it was the first episode of duets when I came out on stage and I just felt good. I felt like, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. I looked around. I saw John Legend in my right. I saw Kelly Clarkson in my left. I saw the crowd was up ready to see a show. And I was not concerned about what they were thinking about me. So, like, immediately that for me was, like, the greatest, you know, uh, before-after kind of snapshot wow. was, like, I remember my first moment on TRL when Carson introduced me. I was, like, it was, like, I wasn't even present. I was, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what do these people think about me? I was so inverted, you know? Mm. Um, but with duets, I was just, like, wow, this is awesome. And I was just enjoying it, you know, looking around, having fun with it. So that was the biggest thing that um, – you know, that vulnerability, that ability to just trust the moment and trust that I'd done the prep work, 
you know, leading up to that first episode of duets, trust that the audience, you know, is is going to be entertained. It's not just about me hosting it so brilliantly. There's talent that's going to come up and sing, being really present to all that and not so caught up in how people were going to look at me. You know, it really isn't about us most of the time. Most of the time, you know, people are projecting their own stuff anyway. So it's like, they're going to think what they're going to think. You know what I mean? And I kind of got to that point where, of course, I would like people to like me. I I think that'd be like a big lie to say you don't want people to like you. But at the same time, my happiness is not contingent on that anymore. Mm. Yeah, it's so funny how we find, we put our identity in who we are, what we do yeah. versus who we are as a human being. And I know I did that, I mean, for a long time and I'm, I'm working through that. Mm-hmm. And it's been a more powerful experience in connection with people. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's always way deeper than, than what we do. You know, I love this uh, quote that uh, we're not just human, we're not human beings, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm. You know, and I think about that a lot because, uh, you know, there is something very intangible about life. Like there's just too many things that have come up in my life that have some kind of divine synchronicity. You touched on it. It's like how we can, you know, cause things in a way. You know, it's the law of attraction. I mean, a lot of this stuff has been around for a good reason, you know, because it's like. There's something really, really cool that is definitely way deeper than somebody's job title. And I know that for me, when I meet someone, that's not the first impression that I have of them. I'm not like, let me see your business card. For me, the first experience of someone is whatever their energy is and their spirit, you know, and that that spiritual being comes across. And that to me is now something I'm, I'm way more in tune with as well. So before it would be, you know, assessing, it would be, you know, looking them up and down maybe, and maybe wondering what it is they do and how it actually could serve a purpose for me and that very sort of capitalistic mentality. Mm. But now I'm way more prioritizing in the actual energy and what that person is being with me. Yeah. What, what results has that created for you? Wow. It just way deeper connection right away with people. Um, Because people can feel it. I feel like people can feel when, you know, our interests are not pure when they're not coming from that, you know, let me just connect with you as a human being first, like, never mind what you do. Um, so yeah, it's really, it's it, people, you know, they let their guard down. All of a sudden, it's just, it's a way more pleasurable experience because I don't think anybody wants to feel like their value is based on what they do because that, like we've talked about, it's a temporary thing, you know? Yeah. No matter where you're at, it's like you're seeing CEOs getting fired left and right from their, you know, presidents of companies or whatever getting fired left and right. So there's really no job security. So I don't think anybody wants to really like sit with the prospect that I'm not going to want to talk to them because they don't have that job at the head of that company anymore, you know? So that to me has definitely been huge in, now having such richer relationships, not at all conditional, you know? Yeah. Like really unconditional love has been a huge part of my life lately. I love it, man. It's great. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, I mean, another thing that I admire about you is your your passion. Like you're so passionate <laughs> and it shows. Like it, it really shows through. Where would you say that passion comes from? Oh, man, it just comes from life. I mean, it really just comes from... 
Well, I, I will say my parents were particularly passionate. So um, I think just by, you know, my mirror neurons, as they say in psychology, I picked up a lot by osmosis being around my parents. My dad is a, a very loud Haitian man. Uh, he gets passionate about breakfast. So, you know, he uh, <laughs> definitely showed me how, you know, it's exciting to be around that kind of passion. I remember constantly like being in awe of that passion that my dad always brings to the table. My mom, very passionate as well. And so that, that I think was obviously the foundation of our parents are such big influences. And then, yeah, just really having been fortunate, you know, to be able to live this kind of life. I mean, for me to be melancholy or monotone about that, I think it would be absolutely ridiculous, yeah. you know? So, yeah. of course, I'm very passionate about my life. It's It's been a blessing. So, yeah, I'm savoring it, man. Yeah, I love it. Well, you light up the room when you walk in. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, speaking of passion, you know, that's, I feel like, what carries you through, carries one through a totally. creative journey, a creative yeah. entrepreneur journey. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and we all have struggles along the way. Like what, what are some of the big struggles in the creative, your creative entrepreneurship journey of like art and business? Mm. What's, what's something that you've had to struggle with through that? Actually, it's that sometimes my passion can um, circumvent, it can kind of uh, overwhelm my more logical mind. So I'll get so excited about something as a creative entrepreneur. I'll be like, yeah, this is going to be the show. <laughs> um, but then, you know, being able to balance that with, the more you know market savvy kind of thinking the more analytical side of me which at times can deflate passion a little bit but they're an integral part in actually making it work making mm -hmm. passion viable beyond just your own sensation just beyond my own getting off on it so that definitely has come into play. I remember one moment when I was consulting as an A&R over at MySpace Records and I wasn't able, because of my passion, because I got so overwhelmingly passionate, I feel like I wasn't grounded in how I could articulate why we should sign Drake, for example. Uh. I brought Drake in before Lil Wayne even got his hands on him. This is like, he had one mixtape out. And I remember I didn't, get, I didn't get the job done of signing Drake at MySpace. You know, mind you, you know, there's other... It, you know things that were going on in the building um obviously myspace did what it did it, it you know at that point kind of went south so there was a lot of other factors um and everything happens for a reason so i'm not going to put this on myself but i remember there were ARs that i work with that would you know definitely speak into specific things they would be able to communicate in a way that was less theatrical than me but more effective hmm. so i will say that you know while passion is an important vehicle there is definitely an important marriage that I've made recently with also you know, that more grounded sense of, okay, now how does this work, you know? Yeah. So it can't all be like pie in the sky, like, you know, let's, let's skip down, you know, golden brick road, you know what I mean? So that's definitely been a huge part of, of what's eventually worked for me. Yeah. So beyond that, what would you say like would have been like your lowest point in, in your creative business lowest point in my creative business oh wow um there's a couple i could pick from um <laughs> i think that i um i had well i had one particular project i worked on with aol and it was a online network called cambio and i remember that there was there, there was there was a couple of things that weren't working in that situation and certainly i feel like i 
I definitely didn't bring all my creativity to the table. I felt a little bit reactionary. You know, I didn't make a point of voicing um, or really collaborating in a way that was empowering in that situation so that there was a clear, you know, there's a clear investment from me. I would say there was a bit of a detachment from the results ultimately. So, you know, as you can see, I'm still processing what happened there. I think there was a lot that I learned from that, which is that no matter what you know title one has, it's important to really be that. And beyond that, like be in the trenches day to day, have a certain investment in any given thing that has anything to do with the project. Um, so while there were some things that worked about it that we really felt good about, there's a lot of things that just didn't they didn't didn't make sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I know I'm speaking in abstractions a little bit, but definitely what I learned from that was um, the importance, uh, the, yeah, the importance of being responsible for it all. Mm. You know, like if, if you're going to be involved with something, even if it's not necessarily like, you know, caduce.com, you know, if it's cambio.com, but I'm involved with it, even though, you know, maybe the CEO is not there every day, the president isn't there every day, um, taking ownership over it. Like really, like understanding that what I what I had to say mattered, and my presence mattered, and how I was being about it mattered. So that was one of the things that really comes to mind was that experience. I learned a lot. It was a real struggle. It was I I did not necessarily enjoy my time there, but that, that was a choice. That was a choice that I made to not really see all of the opportunities to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that was the year leading up to doing the workshop. That was like one of the projects that. Uh, actually gave me a like tangible you know professional bit of feedback that something <laughs> wasn't working you know because personally there are there like some of my friends have made a point also saying like wow you're like a chronic dater like you just you're just a, like dating 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 girls left and right so that was some feedback that got me understanding that personally something was, but then when that project didn't work out and then I did a pilot with a and e that didn't work out you know, there's enough evidence mm. for me to say, okay, what's the common denominator here? Me, you know? And so that was what led to me really looking at the man in the mirror and doing that work in that workshop. Yeah, it's interesting how sometimes we don't even realize that the source of our <laughs> whatever things that don't work is us. Totally, totally. And that's the thing. It's like as a creative entrepreneur, sometimes, you know, we might not have, you know, a big team around us. We might have one or two partners that, you know, are in that uh, place to to take ownership as well, so it's important to constantly be really honest with ourselves, yeah. And you know, and be in demand for feedback. You know, really make a point of reaching out and having a mentor, for example, or you know, collaborators that you can really trust to keep it real with you. Otherwise, you might be going down the wrong road and uh, and not even knowing, not even having the awareness of it. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, so moving onward like where where's caduce headed what's the grand vision man the grand vision is is getting clear by the day i I do feel like you know finally i know um what kind of place in the media world i want to inhabit and you know i think it can take on a couple different aesthetics but you know i know that you know last night's workshop was so inspiring to be able to see how you know creating a space for people to talk about things that really matter to them and break through the things that they need to break through is really important to me. 
you know, I, I love talking pop culture. I love music. So that can be a through line in some way. But even then, I think that if I'm interviewing an artist, I'm going to talk about stuff that really matters, the stuff that really inspires their lyrics, mm. you know, rather than have a surfacey conversation about, you know, when the album's dropping and what producers they work with, these things that we see in most interviews. Yeah. I'm going to really dig into the lyrics and say, wow, this line right here, that's telling of something really profound. I really thought that was inspiring. Boom. And going into that personal story behind that lyric, that to me is going to be the evolution of, say, if I say in music television where I'm going with this new sense of emotional intelligence, which is this new sense of priorities around having meaningful conversation. So, you know, I love, you know, what Oprah does so much that I want to do it in my own way, you know, and uh, that's exciting because I, I feel like there's not enough young men that are truly vulnerable and emotional that allow for other men to be that way, you know, specifically men. I feel like women, it's, you know, the the norm for them to be open and vulnerable and emotionally connected yeah. in that way. But for men, I just don't see enough examples of it. There's still this like rigid rig, rigidity, this, this you know, this uh, controlling, you know, I got this kind of thing, this alpha glorification that doesn't allow for like the breadth of humanity that we can enjoy. Um, and, and, you know, tap into. So, you know, I definitely am excited about bringing that more to the table. Yeah, it's so, so much more powerful when you can dive deep into what the humanity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, listen, we can like, we can joke around all day. You know, I love, I love all of that. But I think there, there can be this balance. There can be that deep dive uh, in the midst of it that I think just will expand our hearts, you know, with every given episode of whatever it is that I do. That's my intent now is to like, entertain but also see how i can stretch that humanity out there yeah i mean give us all something to connect with and totally and make our lives better yep, you know exactly adding value i mean that's it like to put it in two words like i really you know adding value is really what i'm about you know i think for a while there i was just trying to look good i was just like my whole goal in life was for you to like <laughs> me and um you know, to seem important. And, you know, I think in the back of my mind, I was also wanting to have that platform to make a difference. Yeah. You know, that was really my motivation for coming in the entertainment business was looking at how much influence celebrities have and wanting to influence the world in a positive way. So that was always my motivation, but then my ego got the best of me at times. And next thing you know, that vision for making a difference took a back seat to my ego. So now being very clear about really what should be in the driver's seat is uh, it's making all the difference in the world. I love that. I love that. So one last question here. What does live inspiration mean to you? Live inspiration is to make sure that I am inspired by my own life first and foremost. So doing things on a day-to-day -day basis that bring me this sense of vitality and joy and fulfillment. And then obviously I think that has um, uh, an exponential uh, benefit to anybody who's around me because I'm gonna be just way more inspiring to be around. Just my energy alone, the fact that I'm actually doing what I love to do, um, I think that'll be inspirational for, for other people to be around. That's what it means to me. Love it. Awesome. Well, uh, where can we, where can, if somebody wants to check your, see what you're up to online on the internet, where can they find you? They can find me at theqside.com and at I am Caduce on Twitter. I am Caduce 
on Instagram and uh, I am Caduce on Facebook as well. Yeah, awesome. I'm on all those. And yeah, I'd love to connect with you guys. And uh, thank you guys for, for listening. Obviously, uh, you know, Nick here is a great friend. So it was awesome to be on your show. And uh, yeah, definitely awesome to have an outlet for creative entrepreneurs, no doubt. I love it. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, buddy. All Good right. Time. Thanks. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Shop Talk Radio and joining me as we dive underneath the hood of the creative lifestyle. Again, I am your host, Nick Onkin, and if you enjoyed today's episode, then go over to iTunes and leave us a good review so that we can spread the word and inspire even more people in the world to live inspiration and share their inner creativity. Also, we'd love to see where you're listening to the podcast, so snap a photo on Instagram, hashtag liveinspiration, or tag me at Nick Onkin so that you can inspire other people to listen wherever they are at. But beyond this, check out NickOnkinShopTalk.com to read articles on creating the creative lifestyle anywhere from emotional intelligence to any other aspect of creative entrepreneurship. I'll be also posting up editorial content in the form of visual essays that I get to create with my photographic eye and my craft and my career. Uh, But most of all, you get to join the underground creative community that we're creating. So thanks again for joining us. Now go share your creativity with the world. Uh